There's a line in the 1964 Italian arthouse classic The Red Desert, where Monica Vitti's character declares, There's something terrible about reality, and I don't know what it is. No one will tell me. The awkward fourth addition to Michelangelo Antonioni's trilogy about modern alienation makes for an uneasy watch. It was his first in colour, and its painterly scenes mostly take place around heavily industrialised factories, smokestacks, and weird sheds. Antonioni's penchant for long takes, disjointed narratives, and a focus on the banal existed in stark contrast to the flamboyance of Fellini's dreamlike cinema. This series of films were about the bourgeoisie coming to terms with the meaninglessness of their pursuits and thinking. For Antonioni, the surroundings were key to his character's uncovering of this new reality, whether it's a picturesque island or an industrial estate. In these places, they would cast off their rules and reasoning. It was all about pushing against the stale ideas and thinking of the time, grounding characters in their surroundings to gain new perspectives. When man becomes reconciled in nature, when space becomes his true background, these words and concepts will have lost their meaning and will no longer have to use them. So said Antonioni. But, as we are currently all too well aware, reality can be somewhat unsettling. You're listening to Kunst Please, a podcast about modern art. And this is a story about art imitating life. Some four years after the release of The Red Desert, an art movement bubbled up in Italy, and in particular, the industrialised north. It was called Arte Povera, that's poor art, a name coined by art critic Germano Celant. He saw the movement developing principally out of Turin and Rome, but it would eventually stretch down the country towards Naples in the south. Like Antonioni's films, it represented a radical and unconventional approach to the mainstream, focusing on the everyday, aspects of nature and industry intertwined and the utilisation of simple objects and messages. The Italian artists were aiming for humanism in their art, as opposed to the cool, calculated, machine-made imagery of the pop artists in America. Duchamp-esque ready-mades were a feature of the scene, but rather than being utilised to shock and appall, they were designed to bring art closer to reality, in a more immediate sense. Blurring the lines. The debris of life in Italy was to form much of the raw materials used in the creation of Arte Povera, befitting the movement's name. Steel wool, bedsheets, lettuce and old newspapers, slate, wax, coal, water, neon, earth, fire and felt were all used. I chose to use poor materials to prove that they could still be useful, the poorness of a medium is not a symbol, it is a device for painting. So said Alberto Buri, an Italian artist who was a great inspiration to the Povera group. Two of the key artists involved with the movement were a couple called Mario and Marissa Mares. Despite her prolific work, Marissa is probably recognised most notably as the sole woman ever associated with the group's activities. The Italian art scene was dominated at the time by men. 
but Marissa knocked it out of the park on her first try. At the group's very first exhibition in 1967, she presented an untitled floating installation hung from the ceiling, entirely made of reclaimed and folded aluminium strips. The biomorphic structure is regarded as one of the strongest works of the genre, and was made in the small apartment home she shared with Mario. Some time after that, the group were exhibiting down in the picturesque locale of Amalfi. In another piece that was so evocative of the group's philosophy, Marissa presented Scarpetti, Little Shoes, a striking yet delicate intervention on the exhibition's beach site, composed of a pair of ballet flats that resemble the structure of natural sea sponges, but were made of synthetic nylon and copper wire. Further accentuating their fragility, the slippers were placed closer to the sea. A Cinderella reference, perhaps, but one that reminds us of how precarious our own lives are. The simple, uncomplicated materials of modern life once again reflect back to us the truths about the world that we are living in. At any moment, we could be swept away. I'm not interested in power, or in career. Only myself and the world interest me. I can do little, very little. I'm battling against malice and competition. I cannot escape the reality I see. There has never been a separation between my life and my work. Despite being so important to the movement, Marissa's involvement was pretty marginalised. Sad, really, especially considering Germano Chalant literally coined the phrase arte povera in her kitchen, the room that would become the crucible of much of her work. Looking back, though, many experts have concluded her to be the superior artist compared to her male counterparts. The lightness of her approach, lending her artworks an almost magical quality, set them apart from the somewhat intellectually overloaded works of the male majority. And this is where she, like Antonioni, was successful in creating art from life. Her art and his films never forced an ideology explicitly. They created new perspectives to gaze at the world, offered glimpses of utopias, Strange, fantastical forms sculpted from the banal with little explanation. There's something terrible about reality, and I don't know what it is. No one will tell me. And there it is, Marissa Mare's Magical Arte Povera. Kunst Please was created and produced by Jonathan Heath. That's me. Be sure to follow the gallery space on Instagram at kunstplease for the complete picture. And check out the show notes for a source of bits and ephemera from this episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the experience, share it with a friend and start a conversation about art. And you could probably make something yourself, inspired by Arte Povera. I'm sure you've probably got some bits and pieces lying around. And plenty of time on your hands, of course.